0: All right, we are starting a new series today, and it is a series uh, designed for women, and it is called B. and we're really excited for the next three weeks to dig into uh, issues around women. And so week one, it, th- this message will be delivered by a man, and I just thought, what could go wrong with that? There's, you know, this, th- this, this has no problem, right? Uh, but I, but uh, I, seriously, thank you for all the thoughts and prayers, and uh, the cards, and the emails, and the, are you going to say this, and make sure you don't say that, um, I'm ready to go. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to talk about this because, you know, we're talking about 50% of the population, and there's a lot there to talk about, and there's uh, a, a, a lot of uh, uh, great things that we, that we need to dive into there. Um, and, and we did a series for men back in November, and in that series, we looked at the lies that our culture tells men and the different things that go along with that, and we tried to unpack that biblically and say, what does God call men to be, and how is that different than, than what, uh, what, we've, what we maybe learned as men growing up, and how is that different from the the culture around us. And in a similar way in this series, we want to look at well, what, is women calling, uh, what is God calling women to be, and, and how does that play out, and how is that different than the lies that the culture brings to us? Um, I think one of the biggest issues for men and women— We'll talk about how it plays out primarily for women today. It's issues of identity, uh, who we are. This is a huge thing in our culture. Our culture is kind of all about it right now, about how we define who we are and kind of what's going on there in the core. And that's a huge thing. And I think it plays out for women in some pretty powerful ways. Um, I, I looked at a friend of mine. Uh, a friend of mine, Brian, has a church up in Pennsylvania. And he posted on there, and, and, and he posted this thing, and he asked women to comment on it. And he said, um, most women are struggling like they, they, they feel like, are struggling with feeling like. And, and so he put that out there on Facebook. And then a, a lot of women gave answers of what, the, what most women are struggling with. And so these different women weighed in. And I was reading through all these responses. I'm like, man, this is really powerful. So before I read these to you, some of them, uh, let me say also, because in, in these series, even when we did series for men, there was things in it for women. And even as we do a series for women, there will be things in it for men. Men, pay attention to the words that are about to be on the screen. Because um, this is the pressure that women feel in our culture. This is the emotional and cognitive load from their own words of, of what they're experiencing uh, in in their day to day. So most women struggle with feeling like they are. We'll put them up on the screen. Number one, they're not enough. Um, that they let their families down. That they are only seen as a mom and as a, or as a wife, but not seen as an individual. And they can never be good at anything. That they are inadequate. Most women struggle with feeling that they aren't recognized for their contributions, that they aren't good enough. They're not something enough, not good enough, not pretty enough, not thin enough. They are constantly being judged, mostly by other women. They are discounted, insufficient, um, invisible. Uh, They struggle with feeling like they have to be everything for everyone. I don't know if there's one consistent theme that runs through all of those comments that that women made of of how they're feeling. But as I see it, the word that jumps out at me, or the the theme that sort of jumps out at me as as I read through that is pressure. Women feel like they're under a lot of pressure from all sides. Some of it is from the expectations of men in their life to be a certain way. Some of it is from the expectations of other women in their life that they're supposed to be a certain way and they're doing it right or they're doing it wrong. And some of it maybe just comes from internal stuff. Where, the, where they've got this internal critic that's telling uh, them that they're, they're not doing it well. But underneath all of that stuff, if you sort of peel back the layers on that, it's an identity issue of, of who am I and, and, and who gets to decide. Our culture is pretty obsessed with identity. And the message our culture gives to men and women today is you do you, you decide who you're going to be. Don't let anyone else decide that for you. This is all supposed to be like you doing a deep dive into your soul and deciding what you, what you really want to be and be true to yourself and decide that on your own. Now, throughout history... Culture has always helped people and helped the members of its culture figure out their identity. It's helped people figure out who they are. And it does this through stories, through songs, in different ways, through teachings, through gathering around the campfire, through the, well, your grandfather used to do this. Like, our culture has always taught people two main things, like, who am I and what am I supposed to do? It gives a sense of self and a sense of purpose. We've always done this. And there's primarily two ways this, this shows up there's a traditional identity that is placed on people that you, you see throughout culture and you even see in some cultures today. So let's take uh, let's imagine for a moment we're in 18th century England. In 18th century England, you would have an identity placed on you. You would not you didn't nobody's like you do you in 18th century England, okay? You do what is expected of you by society, by your family. Sometimes it's religious identity, sometimes it's not. But it's placed upon you. So if you're a man in the 18th century, if, you're, if your daddy was a baker, you're going to be a baker. If, you're, if your daddy was a blacksmith, you're going to be a blacksmith when you grow up. If your daddy was a shepherd, guess what you're going to be? A shepherd. And so that was the identity as men that they would play out. And if you were a man, you grew up and you said, well, I really want to be a farmer. People would be like, shut up. Your daddy's a baker. You're a baker. That's what you do. Not, not a great deal, but really not a great deal for women. Right so that's that's men and 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 the identity was so deep that your name became your last name smith baker shepherd like your last name was the thing that you do for women the, in, in 18th century England, it would look something more like learn to cook and to sew and to take care of a house, make yourself presentable to a man, and if you're lucky and if it goes well and if you've done it right, then he will want to marry you and then you can get together where you can marry him and you can have children and you can kind of serve him and kind of rule your life together and that'll be, that'll be great. Um, and, and you can see why the Bronte sisters, Jane Austen, and others write novels where they're going like, yeah, this isn't such a great deal for women. This is not awesome, what, what, the culture that we're living in. That is a traditional identity laid on top of people, and, and women have, have felt that very, very powerfully. throughout throughout history. Sometimes it's religious, sometimes it's not. It's a family, uh, often it's a family tradition. It is, here is this role, and if you do it, and listen to the performance wrapped up into this. If you do it and do it well, then you're going to win, and you're going to be applauded, and we're going to like you, and you're going to be blessed, or whatever, however we would say that. If you don't do that traditional identity well, we will put a scarlet A on your chest and say, this is who you are, and you will be, by society at large, you'll be trashed. in in, in a sense, for going outside of the identity that has been laid upon you. So you see that traditional identity still in place in a lot of places in the world today. I mean, some of you may have friends in Richmond who have moved here from other cultures and maybe they maybe had an arranged marriage or they came from a culture that had arranged marriages. And we, not living in that identity, in that sort of identity space, we sort of go like, well, that's not, that's not great. Um, but they're coming from a different culture where, where there's a traditional identity where it says we, the, the family, the larger group, will lay upon you who you are supposed to be. All right, so that's a, that's a tra- traditional identity. Identity. Um, most women, I think, um, in in this country, are not struggling with traditional identity necessarily. I think you probably do still feel it from parents and grandparents who who will subtly say things like, "Well, why aren't you married?" or "Or when are you going to have kids?" and those kind of things, where they some of that stuff kind of seeps out a little bit still today, right? Where those traditional elements kind of kind of come down, and so you have to you have to wrestle with that. Um, the alternative to that traditional identity is what is called maybe a modern identity and a very modern um, American, really, a modern American identity. And it has a different set of pressure that comes with it. In the modern identity, we, we would say things like to women, we would say, well, you don't need no man, you define you, you're going you're gonna to decide who you are, what you want to be and you just go get it. And in a lot of ways, that is a correction to the traditional identity, It is a strong reaction against the traditional identity where we say like, I don't want that placed on me and we tell men and women, you, go get, you just go self-define and do your thing and, and you be you and you decide the whole thing by yourself. Now, how do cultures pass that kind of stuff on? Well, I think in America, some of what I've just described, you'd be like, well, it's kind of like almost in the air. But we do it through stories, through songs. There's these traditions that we pass on. This is how we pass on these identity things. Um, In in modern America, think about how songs shape our sense of identity. Uh, Maybe one of the best ones that that you could use to, to see the traditional identity for women and the, and the modern identity kind of busting out of that is the song Let It Go from Frozen that Elsa sings, right? Now, I, I'm going to get it stuck in your head, and I'm really sorry about that. Ain't nobody wants that. Um, but, but the, the song... Uh, she, she, she starts in this traditional identity, and, and, and you see how it, how it shifts. And we could have done this, actually, as I was looking through this and talking, uh, talking the song over with some people, they said, yeah, that's also like Mulan, Pocahontas, like Brave, Little Mermaid. I'm like, oh, there's a theme here that, that Disney has really grabbed onto. So listen to, listen to the lyrics of the opening of the song. It says this. Uh, Or there's this part. So she first talks about being the queen. And then she says, the wind is howling like a swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. I can't even sing this, guys. I'm heaven knows I can't. I can't because I don't. I I, I literally don't know how to sing it. But otherwise, you know, you, you feel free to sing along in your head. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know. And what is she struggling with? It's a traditional identity that has been laid upon her. You are the queen of this kingdom. This is your role. This is what you have to do. And partly you're like, you're the queen. Like, how bad can that be, right? Like, but it's like, and she's like, look, I feel a different way than this. I'm concealing it. What I'm doing is I'm being the good girl that I always have to be. And she's like, I'm I'm tired of this. I want to break out of this. And so she does. By the end of the song, she says this. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And in case you missed the transition, she changes wardrobe and hair in the middle of the song. It's like a whole thing. And she's someone totally different, okay? case case you miss it. And they made it very obvious. She broke out of this traditional identity, and she embraces... She embraces a modern identity. This is who I'm supposed to be where there are no rules. There's no right. There's no wrong. None of this stuff is laid on me. I have been liberated. I am free from this thing. And she's breaking out of the traditional identity and says, I'm the queen of my own destiny. I get to decide who and how I want to be. And I can, I can see why. The traditional identity at times in, in, throughout history can be uh, suffocating, It can be exploitative. Um, And so there's definitely some problems there. Um, But the modern identity that we lay on people and that women feel very acutely, women that I've talked to, um, it comes with its own set of problems that maybe aren't as obvious, but they're definitely there. Um, Number one, the modern identity is incoherent. We tell women, look inside and follow your deepest desires. You do, you go, go in there and figure out what you want to be and you just go get it, right? We say that, follow your deepest desires. But the problem is sometimes your deepest desires contradict each other. And then what do you do? How do you sort that out? Um, let's say, let's say, for example, you have a deep desire. You meet this guy and you want to marry him. And you're like, I want to marry this guy. And I really like him, and I want to follow him, and we're going to be together, and we're going to go live in this place. But you also have a deep desire in career, and you go, Okay, I have this career that I want to, this thing I want to go do. I want to go this direction, and if I follow this career, it's going to take me away from this guy. These are both good desires. They're both deep desires within you, but at the core, they are contradictory. How do you sort that out? And even if you do sort it out, there's a good chance that whatever decision you make there, a year later, you're going to regret it and wish you had gone the other direction with the thing, right? It's hard. Our deepest desires contradict. Coincidentally, I also just gave you the entire plot line of La La Land in the last 30 seconds. So now you can watch that and know what it's about. Um, internally, we are very conflicted. We're conflicted with our identity and our, and our desires. Um, and this has been going on. This is not a new thing. The modern identity sits in that space, but it's actually not a new thing. St. Augustine, who wrote in the fourth century, he wrote the book Confessions, a uh, pretty famous book in the history of literature. And so St. Augustine writes this very personal account, and uh, he talks about um, his, his experience of looking in his interior world and what he sees there. At one point he says, and I love this, he goes, I vacillate between dangerous pleasure and healthful exercise. And I'm like, bro, yeah, me too, man. I, I vacillate between dangerous pleasure and healthful exercise. Like, okay, that's a very modern idea too, right? Like, we would relate to that. But look at what he says um, uh, about, about himself as he, looks, as he looks inward. And he said, I am become an enigma to myself. This itself is my weakness, Augustine says, man, when I look inside here my, my, and I try to discover my identity, it's a mess in there and I have incoherent, conflicting desires. I want this, but I want this. Um, I am torn even on the inside. So if the modern identity says go inside and you do you, the truth is you is conflicted on the inside and, and we're all that way. Not only is the modern identity incoherent, the modern identity is extremely fragile it's fragile the, the way the way we do it. We 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 say to people, and we, and women hear this a lot, right? Don't let don't let them judge you. Don't let those 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 other women judge you. Don't let those guys judge you, um, or don't let them validate you. You know, you, you're strong enough as you are, and we say that kind of thing. But the the problem is, we are such uh, irreducibly relational creatures. We are so connected to one another that you can't just cut off all of their voices and pretend that nothing lands on you and that nothing matters except what you say to you. You can't be like, everybody thinks I'm terrible, but I just don't care. They're all wrong. Like, you can't do that. I mean, you can try, but it just puts us into a very hard spot. Um, We're in a hard spot where where culture tells women, you go to find you, uh, but then other people speak into and try to define you also and you kind of want to listen to them because some of them are important voices and and even if you if you look in the mirror and say I'm enough and I'm good and and you you get every meme that says how strong you are and and, and how internally that you're enough um, the the problem is there's still going to be those other voices and you're going to listen to them and you're going to count how many times someone likes your post or how many hearts they put on your Instagram picture. You're still going to listen to those other voices. And so there, there's a there's a fragility there. There's a fragility there internally when you self-define. You say, I'm not going to let anyone say who I am. I'm going to define myself. And so you pick things you want to define yourself as. You say, I'm going to be an employee. I'm going to own a company. I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to be a wife. I'm going to be whatever, whatever the things that you say, this is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to be to wear. And when you, when you do that and you wear those, well, what happens when one gets taken away from you? What happens when one doesn't work out like you thought it might? Um, there's, there's a brokenness that can happen there. Because at the core, this thing is very fragile and it can lead to depression and disappointment. So we end up looking outward again for affirmation. Um, and, and we struggle with doubts. So is there another option between... Um, the traditional culture that is laid on women and and a modern identity that is laid on women because both of them are performance-based. In the traditional culture, it is, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. If you don't do them, you'll be trashed. In the modern identity, it's you do you. As long as you are doing you and it's working well, you'll be blessed, but as soon as you blow it, it's your fault because you were doing you and you're not doing it right, right? So there's like pressure and performance built into all of those identities. What is a better way forward? This is where the Scripture is so helpful to us and what God has laid on men and women. Uh, he has given us um, some, some space there and given us a different way forward. Let me, let me just take you back to Genesis 1, and we read this a lot, and this is so foundational to humanity that, that we, we need to talk about it. Listen to how men and women were made originally, and then we'll go into the, the original woman that is made, Eve, more specifically. With Genesis 1, then God said, So, God creates men and women and says, uh, my job for you is to rule over the earth, to have dominion over it, to take care of it, take care of the animals, the plants, the the whole thing. This is your space to work in. You guys are the, the, the pinnacle of creation. Men and women together, there are two different parts that are expressing this whole image of God, the imago Dei, the image of God, that is expressed through through these two. No other animal, plant, creature is, is talked about in these terms. It's not, it doesn't say that, you know, giraffes have the image of God or anything like that. It says men and women together are, are working, are supposed to be co-ruling creation together. Um, and and they have a soul, and they've been created to create. Now, in Genesis 2, that's sort of the broad strokes in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, it tells a similar story but gets a little more specific about men and women and how they're created. And I want to read to you as Eve shows up because this is a key piece of identity for women. Uh, Listen to how the story plays out in Genesis 2. We'll start with verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So Adam's there first. It's not a race. He's just there first. I will make a helper fit for him, okay? This is, the, this is woman's about to show up at the scene, and she's described at first as helper fit for him. If you're already bristling at that, I understand. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and then brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So man's given a job. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. There it is again, right? So the Lord God, so all along, you know, Adam's naming all the animals. And, he, and, and you could just tell, I mean, dogs are great. All the animals are great, but they're not, they're not the same as you right and so a woman's going to come along and adam's going to get it and be like this is this is my people that she is she is for me she is the same as me so the lord god calls the deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the lord god had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man then the man said this at last Is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right. so the, this text in, in, in the ESV here says uh, a helper fit for him or a suitable helper is the way it's also described when, it's, when a woman is described uh, suitable helper, helper fit. Um, that's weird, right? And that sounds weird to modern ears. We go like, oh, I'm his helper. This means I'm supposed to like cook and clean and all the, all the he's like a secretary. That's not what it's saying, okay? It, it sounds that way. In fact, the earlier translations will put it, um, they'll use the phrase help meet which is not helpful to us, right? Like, help me, nobody says that, right? But that's how some translations will do it. When I hear like super, uh, suitable helper or helper fit for him, it sounds very like Mary Poppins, like he needs a governess or something like that. Like this is who, she showed up out of the clouds, you know, with holding a rib umbrella, I don't know. Like she shows up and like... That's not what it's saying. So, the, the word that, that is, tr- the two words that is translated helper suitable um, in Hebrew is azer kenegdo. So, azer is a combination of two other Hebrew words. Um, and the word azer, that is um, helper, as translated helper, uh, is two things it is strong, and then it is rescuer. So, when she is described as a helper, she is described as a strong rescuer like to, to bail it out, to, to, to bring some strength to the situation. Now, a good principle of biblical interpretation is when you find a word and you don't know the nuances of it, you look up all the other ways that word was used in the Bible. In Psalms alone, Azer, that the woman describes as helper, Azar uh, shows up uh, in 11 different Psalms. Let me read a couple of them too, and I want you to hear the theme of how this word is used. Uh, Psalm 20, verse 2, May he send you help. From the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Psalm thirty three twenty. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm seventy. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord, do not delay. Psalm eighty-nine, nineteen, of of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty, I have exalted one chosen from the people. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This word azer is used twice to describe woman. And then throughout the Old Testament, it's used to describe God. God sits in that space. You talk about the image of God imprinted on a woman. God is our help. God is our rescuer. And notice, oftentimes when it is used, it is used in a kind of like a military context. This isn't like a secretary This is the strong reinforcements that God is bringing into the situation. And there's a powerful thing going on here when God says, this is who she is. She's a strong rescuer. Now, I said there's two words. There's the other word that's translated as suitable, super, super, uh, or suitable helper. uh, Suitable or fit for him is translated out of a Hebrew word called, uh, the word is connecto. And the word means like opposite. So when, she is strong reinforcement. She is brought in and she is his like opposite. Now that sounds like a contradiction to us. How, wait, is she like him or is she opposite him? But what it's getting at is that she is like him and men and women are, you know, a large percentage overlap, right? Of Very similar, right? So she is like him in that she's as contrast to all the animals that, got, that Adam just saw, she is like him. She's cut from the same cloth, the same mold, the same flesh, that kind of idea. So she's like him, but she's opposite to him. Um, I think of it like like puzzle pieces, right? If you had identical puzzle pieces, they would not fit together. You have to have puzzle pieces that fit together, but are also from the same puzzle. Like they're all, they're all supposed to work there together. This is the way she is described. She is strong. And she is uh, like opposite him. She is different than him. She's supposed to be a co-ruler of the earth with him. They are complementary parts. They are two sides of the image of God playing out. And the world is better when both of those parts are working together. Um, And and so, ladies, just from an identity piece, that's who you are. You're a strong rescuer. Um, This is who God designed you to be. Now, that's not to say you feel that way all the time. And, and I get that. But at your core, this is who uh, God designed you to be. But wait, there's more. Because the gospel challenges the traditional and the modern identity that has been laid upon you. Listen to the way Paul speaks in the New Testament about our identity. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. This is identity language. If you are in Christ, that is at your core now. You are this new thing. God the creator is creating again. He's making something new in you. And, and what does he do and how does he do it? Well, if you look down a couple of verses later in verse 21, he says this. For our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look at closely what he's saying. He made him, Jesus, to to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus did not sin. We've all blown it. We've all lied. We've all covered up. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up from darn near birth till now. We've done stuff. Jesus is the only one who didn't do that. So he, he uh, he knew no sin, and on the cross he was made to be sin. all our sins were placed on him. And so he takes that from us and he takes that for us and says, okay, I will become sin so that he was righteous. He did it right. He lived right. He was holy. He was good. He was a righteous righteous man And and his righteousness then gets put on us. So there's this exchange. Our sin goes to him and his righteousness comes to us, which means we can stand righteous before God, not because we are not because we have done so well, not because we, uh, we, we follow all the rules and we nailed it and we got all the check marks and the A plus on our paper. We can stand before God because of his grace, because he loves us, and he has given us his righteousness. So, so ladies, that, that is your identity. That is who you are, and it's not something you're going to earn. It's not you do you and go do it well enough, and then you get to be... It is not, this is what your family says you have to be and therefore go do it. This is a free gift from God that you cannot earn where your heavenly father sees you as you are and he loves you as you are. And with all the pressure that women feel in our culture, whether it's from judgment from your mother-in-law or how Instagram makes you feel, or all those other women with the better Pinterest boards, or how your coworkers make you feel with all of that judgment, the truth is at your core, your identity, you are loved by God um, and, and and seen by him, and that that's needs, that needs to dwell in this in this sacred place in in your center and so what would it look like to truly believe that to believe that you are loved? like that? And then I guess the follow-up question to that would be, and this is what I want you to go home maybe thinking about this week, what would it look like to love and treat yourself as God loves and treats you? So it's an identity question. If this is who you are, according to Scripture, ladies, what would it then look like for you to act that way? Now, it's easy for us to say, well, that would look like self-care. If I'm going to love and treat myself the way God treats me, that's, that, that would probably be self-care. That probably means if I, I should love myself more. Um, and so when we talk about self-care in our culture... We start saying things, and, and women are told, I was, at, I was talking to a, a lady this week, and she said, yeah, it's usually like chocolate and bubble baths is usually what women are told, right? Self-care, chocolate bubble, drink some wine. Do, you know, like, you take care of you. Make sure that you're okay, right? Um, and I understand that, but I'm talking about something a little bit differently because Oprah and The View and, and other places will tell women, well, self-care, you need to take care of you, and, 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 and here's some ways to do it and do this meditation and all these things. But that is... Um, that really is, hey, there's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of voices, there's a lot of noise. You, you do you when we say that and you take care of yourself. We're kind of saying, hey, just like say these things to yourself, read these memes, uh, like recite these things as a way of shouting down those voices, shouting down those voices of judgment. And that's different than the way God treats us. God looks at you and actually sees your sin, not shouting it down, not pretending it's not there. He sees all the ways that you're messed up and then loves you anyway. So when I say treat yourself and love yourself as God treats and loves you, that's what we're talking about, that you're confident enough to go, this is, this is who I really am, and I don't have to hide it. I don't have to yell it down. I don't have to cover it over with self-help. I can be honest. This is who I truly am, um, and I can and I can walk forward knowing that God sees that the Creator of the universe sees me and loves me anyway, any and I can rest in that identity. And this is important because when the Scripture, when Jesus tells us we need to love our neighbors as yourself, that implies that you're going to love yourself to some degree. In there, you've got to you've got to do that right. You've got to do that part well. And so I, I don't mean bubble baths. I mean um, I mean. Think about this space that God loves you and treats you well and then treat yourself accordingly uh, to that and rest in that identity that he has for you. Just as Eve brought something to the table, because just in the way she was made by God, she brought something to the table before she showed up and did a thing. Just in the way she was created, she, she brought something, she brought a strength there. So too, ladies, you bring something to the world just in the way God made you. Now, this goes wrong at times, as you can imagine. It, uh, it, can, it can go off the rails. And in fact, if that's Genesis 2, you flip over one chapter to Genesis 3, and you see where it goes off the rails for Eve pretty quickly. Um, I'm not doing the next two messages. We've got women that are doing them. Leanne will be up here next week, and she's going to pick it up there and talk about um, where identity kind of gets off track for women and and some of the struggles that they deal with and some of the challenges that they have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the many um, godly women who are in this church who love you, who want to serve you, who want to get it right, who want to um, be who they've been created to be. And so God, I I pray your message of grace that we are loved as we are. would just blow through this room. That people would feel that um, not just intellectually know it, but feel it down into their bones. That um, that women who hear so many messages from culture coming from every direction, that they would cling to the truth of who they are in connection to you, and why that sets all other relationships in place. Um, Lord Jesus, um, yeah, I just uh, I appreciate and thank you for um, the the women, the the strength that they bring. Uh, to this church, to our world, to, to the, the culture that we live in. Um, I, I pray you bless them as, as we go through these messages and, and help them to uh, learn from you um, so that they can walk out in a, in a place of even more strength. Uh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.